I get to read Song of Songs. We're going to read it. Um, it's on the screen. Do follow along in your Bible if you have one. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to 2, verse 7 is the goal. So let's read uh, Song of Songs, a Song of Solomon, together as God's people. Solomon's Song of Songs, verse 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like a perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark I am, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, and my own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock, where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a vowed woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. How beautiful are you, my darling? Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars, are rafters of firs. But I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. Like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do keep uh, the conversation going after our gathering. Great to see you all here. Many years ago, I left high school and worked in IT, and I would travel all over um, the state and suburbs uh, fixing computers. And I'd often drive along Anzac Highway South Road before the overpass was there, underpass. And along uh, going north on uh, South Road, there was this great big sign, yellow-backed billboard with the big bright red letters that said sex. And as you got closer, there was a line underneath, I don't remember anything else, but it was black, and it said, now that we have your attention. And I don't know what the next part of it was, so the marketing guys didn't do their job well enough. But um, as humans, it shows in one way, just how intrigued we are with love, desire, sex, intimacy. It's a big part of our life. And many people find the church's teaching and thinking about this to be uh, negative, judgmental, or very irrelevant. And so I'm really sorry about that. 
and let's see if we can change it over the next few weeks. Did you know, and, and Jeff alluded to this, that uh, it, the Song of Songs has been and is the most preached and taught book of the Bible for the first few hundred years of the church, from the um, church fathers to the Puritans. 222 lines of Hebrew erotic love poetry. And Bernard of Clairvaux had 86 sermons on it. So what we're going to do is listen to this song, put it on repeat for the next few weeks, and go over this song to hear what God says, not just about love and life, but also about His love for us. That's the goal. So let's begin by asking the question, who is the song's author? And why does it matter? So let's listen to the song. And we have to listen to it well to actually get what it's saying. This isn't a song about Solomon, though. The only time Solomon appears is in chapter 8, and it's in a negative way. He tries to buy the love that the Shulmite woman and the shepherd, the two main characters, have. He comes in and says, can I buy what you've got? And she says, good luck. You cannot buy this sort of love. Solomon's own view, if you read his tale, his sordid account, actually, in the book of Kings, is that sex and love for him is more about conquest and marriage is political. 700 wives, 300 mistresses from lots of nations. But for all his faults in the bedroom, Solomon had, lo- had a reputation for collecting wisdom. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. They're sayings he gathered, sayings that he authored himself, sayings that he collated together in what we call the wisdom literature of the Bible. And Song of Songs is part of this wisdom. Which means it's written to make us wise in love. And in a world that believes every desire should be fulfilled, the, tr- the wisdom of Solomon ultimately is found in surrendering love and romance to the glory of God by treasuring it in the bedroom of marriage. And this song gives us the experience of a couple deeply in love in an ideal way so that we too can be wise in our own relationships. It's as if Solomon collects this and says, Team, don't do what I did. Listen to this bit of wisdom instead. Don't copy me. Listen to this song. Which means, actually, the song is a song, and the song is a song. It sounds really simple, but there's no deeper allegory, there's no hidden meaning behind each verse. It's simply a poem written to music that's about the desire of two people who are to be married, who do get married, and who are very attracted to each other, and who can't wait to get into the bedroom, and live a life of constantly desiring one another. And... Because it's a song in the Bible, we see themes running through this song from all over Scripture. The image of their bodies being like a land of milk and honey makes us think about the promised land God gave to his people and how wonderful that is. The faithfulness, the exclusiveness of this woman to this man and this man to this woman reminds us of God's faithfulness to his people and how the image of being spiritual idolatrous in the Old Testament is a great contrast to the faithfulness of this song and the God who is for his people. Then, of course, we looked in the kids' talk, just as the song begins and ends in a garden, so God's love story for us begins in Eden and will one day spread out to the whole creation with a wedding as we gather, not just with two people, but all of God's people, to Jesus the groom, gathered to enjoy the intimacy, safety, love of God forever and ever. And so you can see the wisdom of the song isn't just for those who are engaged or married, It's actually to give each of us 
that deeper understanding of the intimacy that God wants to have with you. Because the amazing truth of the Bible is that God loves you to bits. And it's his love for you that makes you lovely. And right now, each of you, no matter what your relationships have been like in the past or they are at this moment, God loves you. Which means we have to listen with Jesus really closely. Imagine Jesus sitting next to you with his arm over your shoulder as you read Song of Songs. Whatever's going on, whatever past hurts and joys you have, you have Jesus right there with his arm around you saying, I know, I'm for you, listen to this. And as we think about the metaphors of the song and as we unpack that, the euphemisms, it, the, the trick is, as we listen with Jesus, it could also mean that our thoughts might spiral. You see, I would not want anyone listening to this song or these, these talks to then commit adultery in their minds because that's not the intent of this song. It's to give us wisdom in, with and in our desires so that we can awaken them under God at the right time in a holy way, as the refrain of 2 verse 7 goes, when we finish today, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And that's why we need wisdom. As much as our hearts and bodies and minds are saying, yes, chapter 2 verse 7 says, take a cold shower until the right time, which in the context of the song is marriage. So think of Song of Songs, and we'll come back to this later, as the puzzle box. Thousand-piece puzzle. The picture on the front is the ideal, right? But when you pour it on the table, if you're a puzzle person, very rarely have I found the puzzle puts itself together instantly. You generally have to sort them out, put them together, and it takes time to get the picture on the box. And some of you may read this, may look at your life and feel like you're that thousand-piece puzzle with all the bits even on the floor. Some of you may feel like an unfinished puzzle in your current relationship or your past ones. And that's why we need the song. To listen and hear and have God's vision in front of us to aim for under him. Knowing that Jesus offers wonderful grace and healing to our souls and body and mind and heart that's been misused from sex and desire. So with his arm around you, listen to the comfort, redeeming grace and love of Jesus for you. So it's to make us wise in love. It's a song helping us to listen with Jesus, with his wisdom and grace and kindness into relationships. So, let's sing the song together. Let's dig into that. Maybe you've um, noticed already some of the strange... Oh, I should have pushed the button. Some of the strange metaphors um, in the song already. Maybe you're thinking if you went home, like I did today, and said to Natasha, uh, Song of Song 27, quote to her, and say, Darling, your nose is around a goblet that never lacks blended wine. Natasha would think, I've had too much blended wine. Or if Natasha said to me, Darling, you look like the forest of Lebanon from Song 515, I might quickly count the number of baked cheesecakes I've eaten that week and think I'm filling out a little bit more than I should. Suppose you read this, you have to realize this. Our lovers never have that problem. Whatever we stumble over and chuckle at, they never did. It simply aroused their desire for each other even more. And the song begins with an impatient woman bursting open the door, saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
This is not a peck on the cheek as friends. She is looking for romance and love because she says, your love is more delightful or better than wine. Again, she's not interested in a casual fling. She's not out of control with passion either. She loves him for who he is, praising his character. The next verse, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Your name implies that he's a top bloke and a nice guy. He's well known in the community. In just a moment, in verse 8, we learn he's a shepherd. But in her mind, what she sees in this shepherd transcends all the ranks of society. And to her, her, her guy, her man, is a king. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And she really has one thing in mind here. And she's raptured with affection, desire, but she's not alone. There is another voice that speaks in verse 5, that of her community. Sorry, verse 4, that of her community goes on. We rejoice and delight in you, talking to the woman. We will praise your love more than wine, how right they are to adore you. This love she has for him is not hidden. Have you ever seen a couple distance themselves sometimes from friends as they start dating each other? And that's somewhat to be expected. But they must be careful not to neglect the community around them because there is wisdom that comes from others to help cultivate a relationship. Especially so your relationship can sing God's vision for it. Especially helpful too if you have not got godly parents or a family around you that love Jesus to bits as an example of that. You see, she wants a relationship that will produce sweet wine, delicious fruit. And that requires care, intimacy, and love, like looking after a vineyard. And she knows to have this, there is wisdom found in those around her, not just in seeking out her desires. She is not a metaphorical land to be conquered, you see. As I said, her relationship is more like a vineyard that takes care. And so, in chapter 2, verse 15... This self-aware woman says to those around her, she asks for help in this. She says, using the images of foxes in a real vineyard, catch the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So this is the making of a healthy relationship. The woman's ready for intimacy, passion. She has desire to be married. And just as foxes or animals can actually spoil a healthy real vineyard, there are foxes that threaten her and his vineyards. Simply this is saying, without being too prescriptive, she's independent enough to know what she wants, a man with a good reputation who is strong, desirable, good-looking. But because in verse chapter 1, verse 4, her passions are running very quickly ahead of her, you know, quick, hurry, take me to the bedroom, she says. She needs to pause and not rush in without the support and friends of those godly people around her. She needs wisdom. She knows she needs that. And here, they're the godly daughters of Jerusalem. And as her relationship develops, you notice in the song these voices keep appearing, guiding them, supporting them in their relationship. So here's a thought for those of you that are not yet married. Have you thought about the type of person that you want a relationship with? Desire is one thing, a good thing, a big part of it actually. Being attracted to someone is not insignificant. But what about character and godliness too? And do you have people around you that can help speak into that in a helpful, godly way? 
So, back to our couple. Their relationship is in full bloom, it's flourishing, except uh, they're both stuck at work at the moment. She's in the vineyards taking care of sheep and goats, and in verses 5 to 6, we learn two things about her. She's a working-class girl who is very self-conscious about the way she looks. Dark I am, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of my vineyards, or of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. She spends a lot of time outside in a vineyard here, taking care of it, looking after the sheep and animals, and because of it, the sun has tanned her skin. And in her culture, tanned skin was not celebrated like it is today. My mother-in-law lies at the pool and pours oil all over her so she can get brown. And we always say, you're going to get skin cancer and everything, but she still does it because she wants dark skin like that. But in her culture, she would never do that. It made her very self-conscious about her appearance, actually. And he, her looks bother her, you see. She's intelligent, she's independent, she's well-read, but she's self-conscious. So much so that it feels like she's not going to meet the standard of beauty around her. And in verse 7, when she, she wears a veil over herself, when she goes out to meet his friends. Ah, the first time you meet the family. Do you remember that? Maybe you've never done that. But it'll be an anxious time for sure as you, you walk up the driveway and think, what will they think of me? What will they say? Or the first time you bring your partner to see your friends. The first time Natasha came to see my friends and my family, I was playing drums in a band, actually, and no one knew that she was my girlfriend until the end. And a friend's mother said, hey, that's Luke's new girlfriend. And everyone went, what? Oh, no, what are they going to say? It was an anxious moment. But our woman in the song is very self-conscious, and she wants more than just a physical connection. She wants intimacy and affection and love. So in verse 7, she looks for her man and says, where, where you who I love, where, where you graze your flock, where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a vowed woman beside the flock of your friends? She wants to see him face to face, to seek him, to be near him. She wants sex and a soulmate in the context of a loving, godly, safe relationship. And then he speaks. What will he say I really think you're wonderful. I'm actually really self-conscious and nervous about being with your friends and meeting them. What is, this, what is this shepherd going to say? And just look here at how powerful words can be in a relationship because the first thing he does is to undo the cultural ideas of beauty. Verse 8, If you do not know, most beautiful of women... This song, listen carefully, this song is not saying you need a guy to make you feel better about the way you look. That your self-image is tied up in someone's view of you. That's not what it's saying. Whatever self-image issue she has, her relationship is like a respite from a culture that accents them. Her relationship is a safe place. That's the image we see. There is a positive safe affirmation of her by him and that's healthy and good in a relationship you see it with adam and eve they were both naked in the garden and they felt no shame and we know life outside the garden is a struggle 
and self-image of what we look like for both men and women as well is at times a battle. And so here we have a picture of the puzzle box. The love and the romance of how God intends it to be. It's like being back in the garden. It's safe. It's refreshing. And the good news for all of us, whether we're single or married, is there is someone who was not put off by our appearance, by our sin, by our shame or our self-image, but he came for us while we were yet sinners. And this one reclaimed us back to God, to a future in his garden of love. And that's true for every single one of you here. No matter if you have a little of that in your relationship or a lot of that in your relationship or none of that, Jesus calls to each of us and he welcomes us and his love makes us lovely. And in our song, he welcomes her just as she is. Follow the tracks, come to me. And without looking below her neck at this point, he just says, again, most beautiful of women. Today we'd say, you don't need a filter to look good. You are wonderful. You see, his cultural vision of beauty is utterly unimportant because he loves her just as she is. And he likes her for who she is too. He wants to spend time with her, not just in the bedroom, but on the couch at the cafe when he gets home from work. And he begins to speak in his part of the song words that are gentle and tender and intimate, full of desire, so much so, he loves it a bit. He says, you are a horse. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Wait, yeah, that's right. What? How is that? You have self-image issues, and then the one who you're supposed to love and is safe and secure then says, you just look like a horse. Um, Again, you have to see she's not put off by that. And we'll see that in just a moment. If you... If you look at paintings of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, the imagery is starting to come out now. They were majestic, regal, royal creatures. And as she has said, you're my king, he's saying, you are royal to me, using the language of their day to describe just what that is. And lest you think he's on shaking ground, um, she just wants him more, because then she starts talking in verses 16 to 17 about beds, beams, and rafters. That is, a home, a family, a future, a house that we'll have together. You're really beautiful. You look great. I like to hang out with you. You look like a horse. Let's get married. That's the picture we see. But she can't quite believe that someone like him would desire someone like her. Isn't it true that, that self-image isn't easily corrected? One, one nice comment doesn't fix 18, 30, 45 years of of thinking. She then says, I am a rose of Sharon and lily of the valleys. You may think that's really great. Lilies are lovely, roses. But actually, it's like saying today, I'm as pretty as a sour sob. Common weed is what they were. But he's quick to affirm. Look what he says in the next verse. Like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the young women. You think you're a sour sob? You're a rose. Seriously, everyone is a thorn compared to you. Like they're just the stick of the rose. You're the you're just beautiful. Don't ever think you're just a sour sob. No influencer can match your beauty, is what he'd say today. He only has eyes for her. So here's a, a good time to pause. If you're married, 
is your husband and wife still the most royal, radiant one to you? Have the years dulled your passion and desire? Or can you say, you are my rose in a world full of thorns? Because, you know, being attracted to each other isn't ungodly. Why not pause today, just think, then compliment and affirm the beauty you see in each other. Then if you're not yet married, are you putting too much emphasis onto what our culture insists on? Have you given a thought, not just to finding someone good-looking, but someone who loves Jesus to bits too? But also, there are some of us that may be hurting in love. It's gone. In the puzzle of your relationships, past or present, it might be less than ideal. You may hear this, but here too, the wisdom is to not underestimate the community of being with God's people. She is a community talking to her, speaking into her life. And the simple act of reading the Bible with others who love Jesus, talking and praying together, being with God's people, while pursuing professional help if necessary, is actually really valuable. The community who loves God speaking into her life is important. But we also read in the Bible, in Jesus, and the verse was on the screen, but it's Matthew twelve twenty. And Jesus, the lover of your soul, says, A bruised reed I will not break, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out, till I've brought justice through to victory. Which means Jesus is tender towards the hurting. Jesus is not one to break you off and snuff you out. Jesus is concerned with how you've been treated. Jesus is concerned with the intent. For those who find this hard, may the words of Jesus be a great comfort. May his grace and forgiveness wash over you, making clean. May his safe and secure love be what guides you up, that that banner over you would be the love of Jesus. Because Song of Songs talks about this love in this relationship in chapter 2, verse 3 and 6, and it talks about an apple tree. An apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And is that not the great place to be? To have a home where both man and woman are loved and cherished, where you feel safe from how oppressive the heat of life can be to be refreshed by one another, where both take initiative in the relationship, because that's what we see here. And as much as she's been after him, he then leads her now, in verse 4, to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. But don't think banner as in military, as if he's conquered her somehow. That's not the point. Another translation of this says, he looked on me with love. Think celebration. Think the happy birthday banner sign you see that you string up at a birthday. That's what's going on. It's a sign dripping with passion, love, and celebration. And he picks her up and he carries her into the hall speaking tenderly and then she says to those around her to finish the song daughters of jerusalem i charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field do not awaken love or arouse love until it so desires you see it's not just her getting wisdom from the community she gives it to them too right her wisdom is to cool your jets until the right time Finding the right person when your desires are so strong is so hard and it's so tempting to shortcut other things just for that. But her not yet is not a no way. 
the reference to the deers and the does and the gazelles tell us it'll be a springtime wedding. And if you read through chapter 2 and 3, you see that. The springtime comes. Her wisdom in saying not yet is that there is a right time to awaken it and that time is in marriage because she is very keen on bringing her sexuality under God. Because she has faith in God, because she belongs to God's people, she pursues God's vision for that part of her life. Back in the 90s, um, I grew up and it was great and one of, the mo- one of the popular songs was by the band called Bad Touch. You may have known it and it says very famously, you and me baby, we are nothing but mammals so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Now the woman in the song knows she's more than just an animal with urges. What is physical for animals is often far more significant for us. Because you see, God cares who we sleep with because we care who we sleep with, you see. Our sexuality, our desires, marriage and intimacy, it's a gift from God. And not only that, but it tells us to God's and shows us God's great love for us through the gospel of Jesus. And God's vision for this part of our life isn't just an elective subject you take at uni. I become a Christian, I follow Jesus, and I get to choose the parts I want to add into my life. That's not how this vision that God has for you works. Because as wonderful as the song makes it out to be, It's actually a really lousy platform to build your life upon, just on sex and desire. Because the greatest joys in this life are not actually sexual. C.S. Lewis once said it really well, we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. The trouble, as C.S. Lewis sees it, and I think as God does too, is that we're too easily pleased But as the woman found in the shade of the apple tree of love, each of us can find a fulfilling, intense love for you, not under an apple tree, but under the cross. And Jesus can be the source of refreshment and joy. And he invites us to look at his beauty, to be in awe of his character in nature. He invites us to his banquet hall to satisfy our soul's longings, the hurts of our heart, to give us a vision for life where love can be full of his gracious, redeeming love. And that can be for each of us. No matter what our relationship status is like or has been, the safe love of Jesus is what is on offer in the gospel. And so, may you sing about and rejoice over the love that God has for you. May you have a relationship here and now full of desire and love, and it may it be a safe one. May it be a glimpse to others of the gospel and the grace and the kindness of Jesus. And may you know that as you pursue God's vision, I'm cheering you on every step of the way. And Jesus is cheering you on too. So as a church, let's uphold God's vision and pursue that in a joyful, wonderful way and not be half-hearted about it. Let's pray. Our great God, we're so thankful you love us and we just want to say that. Jesus, we love you and thank you that you love us. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to bring us into that one day forever garden married to you in safety and intimacy. And right now, may that future dominate our hearts and minds. May the relationships here, the marriages, those who are dating, those who are engaged, may they be appointed to you 
Help us to live your vision by your Spirit. Amen. Please join us as we sing as God's people and think more about the great love that God has for us.